We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. More golf talk, because it's a Tuesday. We're going to dig into this a little bit. DraftKings pricing just came out. Dig into that. We'll talk about DraftKings Showdown and a whole bunch of things around the world of golf. So you out there right now, smash the like to the episode. Sub to Mayo Media Network. Leave those ratings and reviews on the audio podcast, on Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And sub to fantasynational.com fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself that 20% off in the listeners league link is down in the description right now we throw that all out get that you know in your mind so you go do all those things as you're watching or listening to this show joining me for the first time ever is the degenerate 75 better known as james sir you've made quite the uh, the impact in a very short time in a very crowded industry so Hat tip to you. Congratulations. I love your content. People dig your content. And you're doing way more now than you were at the offset. Like Even like the, the final round sweat at the end of the rounds is amazing content. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, been like I just found. I think I got pretty lucky, right? I just found like the perfect little area that there wasn't a lot of content in in a, in a space that's growing with the PGA Showdown. Uh, been able to make some really good friends in this industry, like Tambo and Sia and people that are, you know, are really yourself, people that are just make incredible content and just kind of follow their lead and just found a little niche 
um, in, in a niche community. Been very fortunate. I don't I don't take any of it for granted. It's uh, it's been awesome. Um, but uh, you know, like I I, I got to tell you, I, a bucket list thing to do is to be on the Pat Mayo show. So now I can I you know I you can't, I've always felt like people are like oh you've made it. I was like you don't make it till you make it on the Pat Mayo show. I think we're finally here. So now. I can say I've made it in this industry. I, I think that you made it well before this. I'm just kind of latching on at the last second to ride the wave to the very top because that's what I do. I see people who are on the up and up. I'm like, yeah, I'll have them. I'll become friends with them now, so they remember me when they're much bigger than me, and they can help me out. You know, when I'm in a pinch. But take people through the showdown show. I mean, a where they can find it on YouTube uh, after the rounds, and you walk through everything. But kind of give us your process on showdown because that's not something that I spend a lot of time thinking about i don't play a lot of showdown for any sport especially pga and like tambo and hoop i mean tambo has handled that on mayo media network for such a long time we do our like, free shows live after the conclusion of the first round and the second round but you're doing a lot of the same things as well so how does your process work for you know picking showdown winners so first of all i'm just i'm it's just the degenerate 75 or showdown hoedown uh, you can find it right i do it every i do it live for every round three and round four so friday and saturday night i do it and uh, yeah, it's a it's a lot like Tambo's content. Uh, it's Ship It Nation, right? Like I, I, you know, I have a Mount Rushmore of showdown players. I, I'm pretty sure I'd have to have Tambo on there because he's incredible. I he was sweating the two hundred thousand dollars yesterday. I saw. I was I was cheering for him because I loved his uh, roster construction. But I mean, as far as showdown goes, like the, the, I, I I'm I'm like you. I'm a creature of habit. Like I don't you know like get, you know when people tell me about best ball, I'm like get the hell out of here with that best ball. I ain't got time for that shit. I do this and this is all I do. Right. And so I, I was like three years late to the party on showdown showdown has been around way longer. I've only been playing it competitively for about two or three years now because, you know, I'm like a get off my yard kind of old guy that only wants things that I know what I'm doing. And so I started playing showdown and then I started to realize, oh man, this is where it's at. Like this, this is awesome. Cause how often do we do this? That like come Wednesday night, we're all excited. We've made our lineups. We feel like this is the week we've got this big edge. And then Friday afternoon rolls around and your guy double bogeys 18 to miss the cut on the number. And now you have no six of sixes heading into the weekend. And all that excitement you were feeling is now gone. And you're left to just not have shit to do all weekend. Well, showdown fixes all of that, right? Because now you still got round three and round four showdown. And it's a brand new day. You might have got kicked in the nuts by week long, but you can bounce right back uh, with, with showdown. And the edges at showdown are just so much more real than they are at week long because the week long space has gotten so sharp right i you know like i, I'm, I don't want to you among others have really pushed just like the basic knowledge to people out there that they didn't know about the importance of ownership the importance of factoring and weather the importance of playing the pivot game and it's gotten so sharp that there's really not much of a uh, an edge at week long and even when there is an edge at week long over 72 holes a lot of that you know a lot of the the the, the fluctuations that can happen kind of get smoothed out because the better players the better players are going to rise to the top over 72 holes but for showdown, you only have to do for 18 holes. And for 18 holes, anybody can be a hero and anybody can be a slapdick. And when you embrace that volatility and you play the volatility game like I do, showdown is where you really get rewarded, right? You know, and then the biggest thing is, is uh, there's just not as much sharp content out there. So we have that the, the Winter Olympics guy yesterday. What's his name? Nagano. You know, like he was like legit, like 27, 28% owned at showdown. Like, what the could you, people are playing a guy they've never even heard of that's clearly going to melt down on a Sunday because he's starting in the top 10 and feels safe. I mean, how much of a bigger edge can you have? That would be like Brian Gay being 30% owned every week at week long. You'd be like, this is the greatest thing ever. 
how do you parse between like round three and round four? Because obviously in round four, you get all those placement points. So, you know, your guys haven't even teed off yet and you're already pretty high up in the standings because you have all the finishing placement bonus points. Obviously, that doesn't factor in to the other days in showdown. So what separates the first three days? Uh, let's say even throw out round one. So I, I feel like there's, a, is, is it fair to say there's three separate conversations? How do you approach round one? How do you approach rounds two and three? And then how do you approach round four? Is that fair? Absolutely. That's the perfect way to put it, because round one is not much different than week long. We're really guessing how the course is going to play. What type of players are going to play there? Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be a course that plays easier in the morning, in the afternoon? Because, you know, typically courses play easier in the morning, but that's not a hard and fast rule. It can be different depending on the course, depending on the weather, depending on the conditions. So round one is one that like you don't see me pumping up a lot because honestly, I'll just sweat my week long there. Learn a little about about the course. Round two and round three showdown is the nuts, right? Because now we have actual data. We can go in and see what holes are playing well. So we can determine, you know, like maybe if we want our guys going off one or 10, we can determine, uh, is it playing easier in the morning? Are that you know, those really nut rounds, the guys that are shooting minus four, minus five, are they playing in the morning? Or are they playing in the afternoon? The guys that are imploding, are there more of those guys in the morning or the afternoon? We have real data. Oh, yeah. And now we can look at their ball striking. Who's hitting it on approach and who's just luck sacking with their putter and chipping, right? So we have actual data from the course and actual data from the players uh, that you can apply at round two and round three. And at round two and round three, there are no position points. So you're simply just trying to get those guys that are going to go make you birdies and get as many points as possible, right? Whereas around Sunday, uh, there, you know, we have one more facet that gets entered in that makes everything a little bit more complicated. We have those position points, right? That's why a guy like Nagano yesterday was so highly owned because he was starting T7. He was like, I don't know, $6,000 or something silly like that. So it was easy for people to toss him in and think, oh, I'll get those position points. But, you know, they fail to realize that when he shoots a five over, that you're not going to get any position points when he finished whatever he finished, T25 or whatever, right? So uh, you got to factor in those position points on Sunday. It is important to get the, the winner, to get those second places, but to only play guys up in the top 10 is just a fatal flaw that so many people make, and you can exploit that by going and getting Austin Ekro or Tommy Fleetwood or, or Jordan L. Smith, who all went ham yesterday, and a lot of lineups were dead in round four showdown before a single one of their guys had teed off because they didn't even play Eckroat or Fleetwood or Jordan Smith, who basically broke the slate yesterday. And so you can gain a huge edge by getting those guys who go out early in the morning and break the slate before the round four guys have even uh, the, the leaders have even teed off. So was there any indications pointing people towards those good plays, be it Fleetwood, be it Jordan Smith, whoever it might be, Eckroat? Or was it just, hey, these guys are going out early. I know they're not going to be low owned. Let me take my chances and hope I pick right. Yeah, so over on my side, I have this thing called the Rosetta Stone, which kind of like puts all the useful information in one place, right? And I kind of go highlight some people that I think are really popping in some things that I like, right? Sometimes it's, uh, you know, like uh, Keegan Bradley can be playing terrible, but like you just play round three Keegan, okay? For whatever reason, Keegan just tears it up at every round three he ever plays, right? And then for Jordan L. Smith yesterday, why did I have him marked as a sleeper? He lost off the tee, he lost around the greens, and he lost putting all of those on Saturday, right? And he was five over. You could never play a guy that far back. So why would I have him as a sleeper? It was simple. He picked up like 2.5 on approach, and over 70% of his approach shots were quality shots. It's not like he got all of his strokes gained approach with one lucky shot, right? He was consistently tagging greens. And when you do that and you're giving yourself those opportunities gained, well, all you need is that putter to flip for one round. And now all of a sudden you have a nuts play. So you're just looking for like those one little things that can make somebody pop. And for me, the one thing that I always want to see is, is their approach on? Because that is the thing that is most correlated to success at showdown because it can carry over from day to day. You just need that putter to flip for one day and a dude like Jordan L. Smith that most people didn't even know existed can go break a slate. 
So one of the things that I've been working on is it turns out when I have these ideas of how to improve products that the actual programming that goes into creating these tools much, I mean, outside of the realm of my knowledge. So I have these great ideas. At least I think they're great ideas and I'll bring it up. Hey, we should be doing this. Can we get that done for like next week? They're like, Pat, this is like a six month project to redesign everything. Make sure this can like be translated onto an app. I'm like, just get it done. And then it doesn't get done. But hopefully something is going to come out in the near future about almost what you hit on. Cause I've been kind of a proponent of this for a long time. And it's funny because a lot of it comes from putting. And you kind of said the approach stuff where, you know, is it one lucky shot or is it one disastrous shot that throws up the entire day? What if we could just start to look at sort of the median approach shots, the median off the tee to give you a better sense? Because there are some guys that you will see, because for the longest time we did, hey, approach minus putting, there are your showdown plays. But just because someone gained three strokes putting one day doesn't necessarily mean they're going to lose the next three days. I think it's important to see, and this you can tell this by looking at each of the putts that they have in terms of their stroke gain. Did they consistently putt well all day, or do they make three bombs? Well, what if we just throw out the, the top two and the bottom two and see what the rest told us? Because I think that's where the advantage probably lies a little bit in Showdown, because everyone is using the information very much of the time in exactly the same way, that you know, maybe you do want to take this guy who's riding a hot putter, and maybe he can do it again. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to flip. Maybe you can keep that consistent and improve on approach. I have a feeling like those little edges are just different ways to think about it now. If everyone thinking about something the, the same way there's an inherent advantage to doing something slightly different that's i mean honestly i'm, I'm upset i've never thought of this because now i just realized i got to put something new on my site true true putting right so like we I, we do a thing called true approach where we take out the crazy outlier shots either really good or bad right so if you lose two strokes on an approach shot because you put it in the water or you gain you know two strokes because you hit an albatross right Those, that's not indicative of how you your approach was for the whole round so why am I not doing that for putting, right? If Mackenzie Hughes rolls in 350 footers and he picks up six strokes putting for the round, that's not really indicative of how he putted for the whole round. It's indicative of how he putted on those three. So maybe I need to start throwing out those outlier putts just like, you know, like when somebody misses a, a two-footer and they lose a full-stroke putting, that's probably not indicative of how they did it for the whole round. So I actually really like that idea. Thanks for the idea, Pat. That's getting incorporated. Yeah, you can incorporate it right now, but I, I think I might be able to come over the top of you on that one with something I'm working on. So you, you get to, right. you I, get you get first to market, you get your sales, in, and then then I'm going to come and sweep the legs on that one. I mean, I, I think I know what you're talking about, and I think uh, I think you're going to be spot on. I think that people are going to really enjoy what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I'm going to send you something uh, after we get off air, uh, the, the beta version of uh, what it yep. looks like. But uh, I'm working on something really cool uh, for both golf betting, daily fantasy golf, or even if you just like to enjoy golf, let's say, in real time, uh, this might be the product that you are looking for on that front. So let's talk more about Showdown. So you want the guys going out potentially early. How do you bake in the players with the starting position anyway? Like, for example, Wyndham Clark and Ricky Fowler are tied at the top in terms of the highest amount of placement points that you can get at the final round of the U.S. Open. And that's usually where the biggest prize pools are for Showdown on DraftKings is that final day. You have your huge money up top. The $20 contest could pay out, like you said, like upwards of like $200,000, whatever it may be. But you do need those. Like if they're going to win, do you need to have those guys? Like are the placement points so much for the winner of a showdown contest that if I mean, obviously Clark would have needed to play well enough to win. It's not like he was up by seven strokes and could shoot 76 and still win that. Did you need him in order to win in showdown? 
So you know, first of all, the winning points for showdown is 13. Whereas like we're, for all of us that are week long players, we're used to getting the 30 points for the winner. Right. So it's not quite as dramatic, like almost you, to win a GPP at week long, you, you won't like 99.5% of the time you're going to need the winner of the actual golf tournament. But for showdown, it's only 13 points. And at a tournament like the U S open where, you know, scoring is pretty tight, right? There was, you know, outside of like Fleetwood birdieing every hole yesterday, there wasn't a ton of guys just going and getting eight birdies yesterday. Right. So when you're playing at a more difficult tournament where birdies are at a premium well then uh, those position points do matter more and I always tell people that I usually have a rule that I want at least two guys starting in the top 10 in every one of my lineups because you do want those guys in the top 10 who are going to play those good rounds but then also when they play those good rounds they're going to get those 13 points for finishing first or those nine points for getting second so I do set rules and I think that you do want to have guys that start in the top 10 I don't think you want to have five of those guys or six of those guys because now you're just building a lineup that everybody else is building and you're missing out on all the the upside of those guys going out early like Eckroat and Smith and those guys but when you get to tournaments like you know John Deere or 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 or, or TPC Craig Ranch the Byron Nelson and birdies can just be had and you it's not weird to see guys consistently shoot an eight under with a streak and a bogey free round well in tournaments like that it's very common that you don't even need the winner on Sunday to to have the nuts lineup because you can overcome those points I mean the difference between first and I think it's 20th place is legit or no the difference between second and 20th place on round four scoring is legit one birdie so if you can just get the guy that finishes 20 but gets eight birdies, that's better than the guy who finishes second with with six birdies. You've outscored him by five points. So there is times in which you don't have to have the winner on Sunday showdown. But for the U.S. Open in these tight tournaments, I think it's good to try to get the guy who's going to win. So Wyndham Clark ended up being a pretty good play yesterday. He made some birdies, and he got those 13 bonus points for winning the tournament. Why are there so many dupes? Is it just lack, not necessarily lack of information, because obviously information is out there. Is it just what people conceive the rules to be? And in their mind, like you said, Nagano. And I, I, the Nagano, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me because obviously you don't want that guy because you know, there's what, like a 2% chance he plays well on Sunday. Right. But I, I get the logic because he's $6,000. He makes everyone else work that you want to put in. But... If you kind of know that he's going to have a bad round, it's a really terrible play. But I saw so many duped lineups with him in it. It's, it was really bizarre. Yeah, I, I call it the Care Bear blanket, right? Like people want to feel comfortable with their lineup. And like I, I always try to encourage people that every GBP I've ever won, I look at the lineups. I'm like, that's a, that was a fucking disgusting lineup. Like, <laughs> that's so gross, right? And people don't want to think that way. They want a nice, comfy pick. That's why Mito Pereira, I knew he was going to be super chalk at week long this last week because you feel so good and comfortable when he's the last guy in your lineup. He just feel, felt safer than everybody else. And Nagano was that guy where, oh, yeah, he's playing well. All he has to do is go out there, shoot an even round, and those position points will be more than enough to pay off his $6,000 salary, which is totally not the correct way to think, when, especially at Showdown, right? At Showdown, you should be thinking, like, this guy is way more likely to implode than he is to even play average. So I can block out something like 26% of the field. That covers the rake and another 10% of people uh, or 15% of people, depending on the tournament that you're in, and you've, you've already blocked out a quarter of the feel just by fading one slapdick and uh, when people start to think like that you'll get so much better and if, if you could have just went and played Jordan Smith or somebody like that and you would have you know broke the slate if you're just willing to have the balls to make that one pivot but people don't think like that at showdown for whatever reason people don't think like that in week long either I mean I'm guilty yeah, of this you, as well I felt very good about Mito and then you know making bogey from the middle of the fairway on the 36 hole to miss the, miss the cut on the number didn't turn out great Mito thanks for nothing pal 
I, uh, yeah, that was bad. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was definitely dancing on people's graves when he did that. But, uh, you know, I liked Mito too. I liked Justin Rose. I liked a lot of those guys that felt like nice, warm, comfy picks. But, like, at some point, I have to ask myself, like, why would I play Mito at 18% when I like, you know, old Harris English rope hat? Uh, I, I like him almost as much, and I can get him at 2%. So I'm just going to make that pivot. And the real key to success at PGA DFS isn't pivoting every time. This is such a I, – I get people that send me these lineups, and, like, it's all pivots. Bro, you're missing the point sometimes chalk is good they're chalk because they're good players who are playing well who are good course fits the real key to pga dfs success in the long run is understanding what chalk to eat and what chalk to fade and everyone always says well how do you know and like honestly if i knew that i'd never fucking lose <laughs> and you probably wouldn't be talking about golf you'd just be winning money exactly i'd just be printing money and i wouldn't need to make content do you like making content it seems like you really get into it i, I love it i love to see it yeah, I mean, I didn't get into any of this to make money. I, this, all the, all the, the website and all that shit—that was that never even crossed my mind that that would become a thing. Uh, I just got into it because I was a 37-year-old dude who didn't fucking have any hobbies, and like, I think that you need to be working at this stage of your life, right? Like everyone says, oh, I could just go play golf every day and not do anything. Well, I'll just tell you, I lived that life for a couple of years and it's not that healthy for you. You need something to put your energy and your your passion into. And that's why I started my YouTube channel. And uh, that I, I do enjoy it. Like I love PGA DFS. Like every Monday when the tournament's over, I'm like, let's go get the next one. Like I can't wait to dive in and break down the course, look at the players, talk about it, and then let my juices start flowing about all the, ooh, this is a good pivot. Ooh, is Morikawa no longer broken? You you know, like, can I really play him this week? I love those juices flowing. And then by Wednesday to put it all together into what I think is going to be this beautiful, you know, Mona Lisa painting. And then by Friday, I realized it was a fucking piece of shit, you know, knockoff. But, you know, like, I enjoy that process so much. And then you always have showdown. You know, flames exactly. out, flames yeah. out on Friday. Let's get, let's get back in on some round three showdown. Exactly right. And I've won way more money at showdown than I do at week long. Not even, not even debatable. I'm glad the passion hasn't gone away. For you, because I've seen it happen to a lot of people because you're doing a lot of content right now and just eventually people just get so gassed out. Like we were talking before the show. It's like, hey, this is an elevated event the week after a major. It's just like, yeah, just just keep the train rolling. You really do need to enjoy it. And I think that really translates to a lot of people because there are some people out there. I mean, I don't want to name specific names on anyone, but it seems like they're phoning it in a lot of the time because it's something that they have to do. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've never phoned in a show on a tournament I don't give a shit about. I have. But, you know, I'm also doing six shows a week at the same time that if you don't have that passion for it, if it's not something you truly enjoy, there's a reason that I don't cover baseball anymore. I covered baseball full time for six years. And then one day I was like, I don't care about this anymore. My shows are going to be absolute dog shit. This is not what I'm passionate about. That's why I pivoted full time. I was doing golf and I was doing baseball throughout the course of the summer, along with NFL once that starts up again. And then, A, it was too much to really, listen, calling myself an expert is probably a, a bit strong, but someone who's very informed, who can articulate information to an audience. I just didn't have that for baseball anymore. Like people would have to give me notes. I was like, now that I'm at this point, this is, sounds like something I shouldn't be doing anymore. So I'm glad that you're still all fired up to do it every single time because I still feel that way. I mean, I, I'll just say this. My goal that I've, you know, I, I, I try to be reflective and think, like, what am I ultimately trying to create here, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to be the biggest tout site or anything like that out there. As a matter of fact, I'm not even a tout. My goal is to make PGA DFS grow. I want to grow this community. And to me, the only way to do that is to make it fun and engaging, bring in new people, get them excited about it. I still can remember 
you and Jeff, you know, when I first started listening to you guys, Jeff telling the story about Brooks Kepka chipping in at the waste management and him jumping up on his couch at the Super Bowl party. I didn't even know who Brooks Kepka was. I didn't know what the waste management was, but just hearing how excited he was to win that bet when Brooks chipped in, I was like, this sounds fucking fun. Like he made it fun to me. He got me excited about it. And like, that's what I want to be to people is to grow this community and make it fun. And the only way you can do that, in my opinion, is to be truly passionate about it and let that energy come through uh, naturally and organically. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. 
it's really funny. You say, like, even at that time, didn't know who, like, who Brooks Kepka was, and now you're doing full-time golf content. So obviously you got yourself up to speed pretty quickly. What does that process look like, going from someone who's like, hey, I want to get into golf betting. I watch Pat's show. They're talking about bets. These guys, yeah, these guys won. These guys lost. It sounds like a lot of fun. Like, what's the next step after that? Like, what's, how do you go learn about this stuff, like, independently? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was just kind of being like, you know, probably like 99.9% of your listeners and probably my listeners too. I just was that casual guy that would go throw, you know, my five or 10 lineups in every week, you know, Oh, Pat said he likes that Kyle Stanley guy. I'm going to play that. I still remember you getting me to play Jason Kokrak, uh, like seven years ago. Oh, Pat said, Jason Kokrak, I'm playing Jason Kokrak. Never even heard of the guy, but I'm going to play him. Cause, uh, uh, cause Pat said to play him. Right. And I was that guy for two or three years. And then slowly when you do it every week, you hear enough names, you start to kind of see these, this guy does this well, this guy bombs it, this guy is a putter. And then you just slowly start to learn you're doing it casually. And then for me, you know, it all kind of came to a head at the 2018 Genesis when Bubba was talking about he might withdraw from the <laughs> tournament Friday if he can't make the all-star game, right? And everybody freaked out. Even though it's Bubba at the Genesis back when he was like Bubba with his magic powers, everybody freaked out and jumped off of Bubba, who was clearly the nuts play that week. And I was like, screw it. No one wants to play Bubba. I'm a Bubba truther. I will play him. Played him in like legit every lineup that week. And I won my very first GPP. And like when I did that and I realized, oh shit, there's something to playing this game. It's not about like, oh, I've got to go follow the picks that everybody gives me. It's just about nobody wants to play this guy. I'll play this guy. Right. And when I hit that, it like completely changed how I saw PGA DFS and really started to make me like push towards doing it full time. So it sounds like you had a much better grasp on almost the Tambo side of things rather than the golf side of things. Hence why Tambo has been so successful across almost all. Of he had like three cues into the NBA. I, I didn't even know he watched NBA or knew that much about NBA, but he knows DFS. He knows how to play. And that's what you see with all the great players in the daily fantasy space is that they just understand the intuitive things like you just pointed out. Like everyone's off Bubba. Well, I should probably play Bubba. That makes a lot of sense. And you're going to live with the times that it doesn't go right, but the times that it does go right, you cash in bigly. So it seems like you need just to up your golf knowledge to match what you inherently knew about daily fantasy to begin with. Yeah, you got to remember daily fantasy is a game. And as soon as you realize that, I mean, some guys could come in and when it, uh, that some, there's some guys that win at DFS that literally know probably not even half of what you know about sports. Not you in particular, the guy listening to this, right? Casual sports guy. And there's DFS pros who know less about sports than I do. They're just so damn good at playing the game, right? They know how to, gain an edge to me where you really marry success is when you really start to know the golfers you start to know golfing you start to know all the stats you start to know player fits all of that and you play the game when you marry those two things together that's where real success can come from right like i know to always play callum Terran at showdown never play him at week long because you can never put four rounds together but that mother father can tear up a round at showdown right and that's only something that somebody who watches golf all the time would know right you know, same with Garrick Ego. I'd never play him at week long, but man, I love that guy at Showdown. And when you learn these things that you get these nuclear hot players and then you can start to see some of the stats and you know about true approach and strokes gained uh, uh, approach and stuff like that, you can really start to marry all that together and, and find guys like Jordan L. Smith and Austin Ekro Sunday at the U.S. Open, right? So who are, I mean, I have a bank of guys, like first round leader guys. I don't play first round leaders as much anymore, but I used to have like a stock of like, oh, these are the guys like Aaron Rye. Charlie Hoffman, Charlie Hoffman, Aaron Rye has yeah. become one of those guys. Sebastian Munoz for ages, just for whatever reason, they get off to hot starts and they can go super low on any given day. Do you have a bank of those guys, a spank bank full of great showdown <laughs> plays that you're just playing like, hey, no, nothing points to Garrick Ego here. But I know yeah. it's Garrick Ego. He could be 900 tomorrow. 
Yeah, we call that the or they could guys. He could never do good tomorrow. He shot three over today. He was terrible. Or he could. And like, once you start to think of it like that, you're going to really start to spike. And yes, I'm actually worried because I always talk about my 10 nuclear hot guys. And everybody's like, I need to see this list. And I've never formally put it together. But just off the top of my head, people that would definitely be on there. I already said Higo, already said Taryn, EVR. Okay. EVR is just one of those guys. He's either like six over or he's eight under. That guy, he just, when he's in the zone, he just goes nuclear hot, right? Sam Burns, obviously, of all the top guys, I think is like the most like crazy hot or crazy cold. Obviously, Tommy Fleetwood is kind of one of those guys too although he only seems to do it in hard conditions if it's an easy course not so much tommy but it's just you know there's guys like that that you just know from playing enough when this guy gets hot he gets hot do you have any you, I, I, you mentioned that the DraftKings pricing had just come out uh let's talk travelers for a moment yeah uh, just to sure. kind of hit on that uh i ended up going with it's funny you mentioned fleetwood that's why i kind of jarred it in my memory he, like he is the highest guy on my card this week i bet nine guys yeah, I bet nine guys at the Travelers with it's like Fleetwood, Thigawa, Henley, and English. Like those are the studs that I'm rolling with, and a bunch of kind of my favorite long shot guys that I bet that I would like to bet every single week using DraftKings lineups, whatever. I'm just betting on them this week and not going near the top. Did you have any like initial leans when you saw the field, knowing it's a week after a major? Like, do you think that helps or hurts the very top end guys? I mean, here's my take, and I don't even know if this is good. See, I kind of shot it down yesterday. But the guys that were really in contention Sunday and were, like, grinding to try to win that, you know, you, you know, Xander or or, or Rory or guy, Wyndham Clark, obviously, I, I think that there's a bit of an emotional letdown. Something I've got real big on in 2023 is strokes gain psychology. Just thinking about where a guy is, like, is this a good spot for him? Like, to me, you know, this is a terrible spot for Wyndham Clark, obviously, coming off of his first major. But, like, a, even a guy like Rory, like, I just feel like there's got to be a little bit of a letdown putting all your emotions into that tournament and coming so close and coming up short so i want guys who played well at the u.s open but maybe weren't truly competing right so like right off the top of my head like two guys that instantly kind of meet that requirement for me would be like patrick cantlay and colin morikawa and i will tell you i thought colin morikawa was broke but he really impressed me at the u.s open and it, when i think of like a perfect course fit colin morikawa just strikes me as a pete die specialist right and a course that is tight and technical like this those are the kind of courses i want morikawa at and the fact that he could play well at that u.s open uh, it shows me that I think he's getting unbroken. Like, I think we're about to see a Morikawa win. I hope it's not this week, because Jeff and I talked about it. Both agreed we liked Morikawa, then I decided not to bet him going forward. Now I'm going to have massive FOMO. I would like to see Morikawa get back on the winning slate, but I do think that there's a big difference. Like, I mean, I can assure you, uh, Xander was not grinding or competing for any title on Sunday. I think he took Sunday off. He was just making a <laughs> scheduled, required appearance for four and a half hours, and then he got to go home. So I don't know if it was too taxing on Xander Shoffley. Maybe this is a, it was a place of good vibes for him. He ended up winning here last you're the first of back-to-back wins between this and the Scottish Open but I'm kind of with you I want guys that played well maybe even under the radar played really well I mean Thigawa played well at this tournament last year but outside of round I mean Thursday and Saturday didn't go great for him Thursday dude just legit couldn't make a putt at LACC but I thought he played really well especially on his approaches the rest of the week and then you have Henley obviously he continued to move up the leaderboard he opened it a good number and Harris English just yeah he had a bad Sunday but it was still a great performance from Harris English 
Yeah, I mean, that, Harris English, that guy, I was for sure after those first, I think he was like three over through two or three yesterday. Just a brutal start. And like a, a lesser man would have just let that get away from him, right? <laughs> a lesser player would have shot eight over and he really kept it together. And like that can't be easy to be feeling all that pressure, get off to a terrible start like that and then keep it together. Old rope had Harris English. Like he, I, I feel like he's back. It felt, it felt like for a year or two, he was, you know, might've been a little off with an injury or something, but it feel like I'm getting old Harris English back, which makes me happy because I like that guy. We saw this from Gary Woodland, too. Like, Woodland had the torn labrum in his hip. I think that Harris English torn labrum was in his shoulder. But it took Woodland a while to get back. And now we're starting to see the Gary Woodland numbers again. He's not back to winning the U.S. Open, Gary Woodland. But basically, you throw out that tournament. The Gary Woodland we're getting now is the Gary Woodland we got then. The guy who's amazing ball striking, can't chip, can't putt, and you hope that he can just pull it back together. The Harris English that we're seeing now is kind of back to the Harris English who won the Travelers Championship two years ago. The guy who came top five at the U.S. Open and then kind of followed that up again now. So yeah, coming back off the injury, it takes people a little bit of time. Hence why I really don't think even if he does come back that Will Zalatoris is going to sniff Italy for the Ryder Cup. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've started to realize that these guys are basically like high-performance sports cars, right? When they're on, they're just like magical, right? But the smallest little thing, if you've ever driven a sports car, if one little thing's wrong with your sports car, it sputters and it runs like a piece of shit. And uh, I'm starting to think that a lot of these golfers that like even if the littlest thing is off, it affects them. Like Tom Kim, the only reason I didn't play Tom Kim this week, who I thought was a great pivot play, is I keep seeing him with all that KT tape on him or whatever the hell it's called, KP, KT tape. And I thought, I think there's like a little injury because he's been off. And then I was wrong. He played incredible, and he looks like he's kind of coming back, which, by the way, he's in this field this week, isn't he? Oh, yeah. He's like 50-1. Yeah, he, yeah, he's playing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm interested in some Tom Kim. If he's back, I love Tom Kim at these at, at shorter courses. I mean, it's, it's really the spot for him. Wyndham Champion. You know, or Wyndham Clark just won the U.S. Open. Tom Kim has won the Wyndham Championship. Maybe this makes the most sense. Huh? Correlation. We're always looking for it. I see it. Uh, so how do you try to find the correlation on a lot of these courses? Because I just kind of scan top tens on leaderboards over years and just you know, my knowledge of what has happened at these tournaments. And maybe I'll miss some going through it. Like I was trying to figure out what correlates well with the travelers. And it's really there's a few, but there's no course really like this on the PGA Tour, which is really weird. Like Heritage, you think would be like the closest one, but it really doesn't play anything like Heritage, despite it being a short course, a Pete Dye course. Weirdly enough, it has a lot of correlation with longer courses, especially with the amount of success that people have had. You might get some more sleepers that pop themselves up, like Valspar, for example, I think has a lot of correlation with TPC River Highlands. Phoenix, for whatever reason. And maybe it's been similar fields over the years. Where the same guys play both tournaments at the high end, and that's why they're so good. But just guys who've had a lot of success in Phoenix have a lot of success at this tournament. You know what's crazy is it always baffles me, like, how incredible you are at referencing all these other courses. Like, I, like you always have the schedule memorized. You know, every course at everything, probably because you grew up playing PGA and enjoying it, whereas I'm, like, late to the party. I still have a hard time even remembering, like, TPC River Highlands is uh, the one up there in Connecticut, right? So I don't even really see it as a course comparison because my brain just doesn't work that way like you do, which, by the way, I think is incredible. I'm more of a I have these guys in my mind, and I think of the kind of courses I want to see them at, right? Like, I love Morikawa 
it, like a tight technical course, right? I like Tigala a lot the same way I like Siwoo Kim. I like it where you kind of need to, you know, uh, there needs to be certain shots that fit your eye. And that's why I like Tigala and obviously Siwoo at Pete Dye type courses, right? It's it's not your traditional course, you know, and then there's always the obvious like ball strikers. Sometimes there's just those ball striker courses where I'll even consider playing fucking losers like Lucas Glover. <laughs> and then there's, you know, then there's, there's bombers, right? Then there's just the courses where I just need guys who can bomb it, you know, and uh, I, I, I want those guys. And uh, I just kind of have an idea of what kind of player is like, why did I love Corey Connors at the PGA championship? Well, I thought it was a course where you needed to be short to medium off the tee. You could get away with that so long as you were in the fairway and you need to be a killer with long irons. And when like, that's exactly the mold that I think of Corey Connors in. And that was why I ended up playing Corey Connors at the PGA championship. I just have kind of a, a, a type of course that I see every player kind of excelling at, right? And uh, it's not it, it's not the course relationship with another course. It's the player relationship with how I perceive them and how who will do well in that course. And it's not always right, but I will tell you this. I pick my lane. I go 100 miles an hour in it because last week I thought it was going to be, you know, I want creative players here at this LACC. Well, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, all my creative players kind of, you know, choked on a bag of dicks and got nowhere last week. So, you know, clearly my uh, assessment isn't always correct. No, but I, I think, I mean, Rasa talks about that all the time, too. I, I think it is important, be, be it whether you're right or you're wrong. Listen, you're going to be wrong more often than you're right, especially when it comes to outright golf betting, but especially in terms of DraftKings golf, that you're going to lose more often than you win. The, the whole point is that when you win, it's worth all the losses that happen, and there's no way that you can do that unless you do go 100 miles per hour in one direction. You don't want to try to cover every single angle because even if you win, you've raked yourself. Exactly right. I mean, like, and that the, that would be the biggest thing that I always try to tell people. You know, over on my website, I do a retrospective every Monday, walking through people how much I won and lost and all that. Because I think everybody just thinks that successful DFS players are just printing money every week. I legit win. I, I have I have five winning weeks this year and fifteen losing weeks. So I mean, just right there, that lets you know only twenty five percent of weeks this year have I won at PGA DFS. Yet I'm still very much up this year because those weeks that I win are greatly offsetting uh, all those losing weeks that I have. And when you get that through your head and you realize that you're really only playing for about six to eight spike weeks a year or really even within that six to eight winning weeks maybe two to three big spike weeks uh and, and when you see it like that it really helps you keep everything in perspective and it will allow you to grow the nutsack to make those aggressive plays that you need to do to to really have high finishes in a gpp hey i talked about this at towards the end of last year how you know i was down for the year on betting i was down for the year on DraftKings, i think i was down like five grand between the two or something like that and then all of a sudden just boom wyndham championship comes along the last one of the regular season in golf and i went like you know, 15k or something like that. It's like, oh, this this turned out to be a really good year i kind of lost 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 little win little win little win you just wait for that one week and the problem the issue is is sometimes the win doesn't come and you're like oh shit this is horrible for sure. I, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you about it. I know you always downplay how good you are at DFS, but like I know the real numbers. I have connections at DraftKings that about 90% of people are losing players at PGA DFS. This is part of the reason that I try to preach sustainability, have fun with it, because to tell everybody you're going to win is fucking nonsense and you're lying to people. So getting back to my point, you are a good player because I know for a fact that you are a winning player all time at, at PGA DFS, which uh, only about 10% of people can say. I know you hit that big one with Kadira for like 20 grand back in the day. I've seen you win the PME Open. You get enough good finishes and then you get into good contests and you always, this is the best skill I think you have, is that your bankroll management is impeccable, right? You don't go get a big hit and then start going and playing in the Thunderdome, right? You stay in your lane, you know what you're good at, and you do that and that is what makes you a good PGA DFS 
best player. And if more people did that, I think that not only would they have more fun with it, but it would become way more sustainable and they wouldn't have to be deposit kings. Now, I enjoy a good deposit. Don't get me wrong. Because I try to cash. Oh, me too. I, I try to cash out every week after I win, bring myself back to zero, and then just restart. Because I, I made the critical mistake the week after I won the 22K with Kadira that I, I didn't play in the Thunderdome, but you know, my, if I, my weekly was like 200 to $500, whatever it might have been. I mean, that really hasn't changed over the course of the past six years. That's just what I enjoy to play. That I think I played like 1500 the next week and just got absolutely shellacked. I lost every single cent of it. I was like, I am never doing this again. This was a horrible idea. That I, I think it's, I forget who I was talking about it with, that one of the best things that can ever happen to you to prevent a gambling problem is to walk into a casino the day you're allowed and just lose all your money that you walk in with. Mm -hmm. Then you never really have the urge. The worst thing that can happen with you, which seems to happen with everyone, is the first time they go to a casino and play blackjack, they win. They pull a slot machine. They win their first ever time. It's almost like it's rigged in your favor that way. That They know it's your first time. We're going to get you a win. And then you're like hooked. Like, well, how can I lose? Uh, and If you flame out the first time you try to do something big like that, when then you're out of your element in terms of bankroll management is really what I'm talking about is that it kind of scares you straight. They like, I would just lose all my money doing this every single time. And that's not what I want to do. Yeah. Well, I, then maybe the lesson should be, we need to start telling people, all right, you can go play high stakes for one week after a big hit, but then once you get your ass owned, I need you to do some reflection on this and realize this ain't the life for you. It is. And I mean, tournament selection really goes hand in hand with that. Like, you know, all of a sudden you're playing in the $550, which is a really good tournament. Uh, if you, if you're, if you're consistently good, I think that's probably one of the better ones to go in. It's not a huge field. The upside is obviously gigantic, but it can drain your bankroll pretty quickly if you have a bad month. And the difference between a bad month and baseball in a bad month in terms of golf like that's four tournaments in golf you might still be having the right process and got four bad breaks all the way through you're each week two of your guys missed the cut on the number where if they had just made it you won but instead you won zero dollars it's really hard to get a gauge on how close or far away you are in terms of your process in golf because it happens so infrequently i would have a feeling that showdown is probably good for that just because there's more slates Absolutely. So the the word of the day that you just nailed is process, right? I get so often, I've lost four weeks in a row. My process is broken. I'm like, bro, I lose like four, five, six weeks in a row all the time. That happens frequently. But I, I've, I've had a process long enough that I know that if I just continue to do things the way that I do, it's going to, to, to pay dividends in the long run. Now, a lot of people haven't been doing it long enough to, to know if their process is broken or if it's good. And as you said, Showdown is the perfect hedge on that, right? Because, you know, I, my win percentage at Showdown is infinitely higher than it is at, at week long, right? Like I win over 50% of weeks at Showdown because there's just such a bigger edge there, right? And because of that, I can use that to gauge a better, get a better gauge of how good my process is. Like, am I doing things uh, right? Because I'm constantly getting, you know, uh, three showdown slates every week, right? I'm going to get in round two, round three, and round four showdown. So I'm getting a over over a month. You're looking at what, twelve or thirteen uh, different slates. So you're getting a much better idea about your process at showdown than you are at week long. Because at week long, you know, just four weeks, you could add really good picks, or you just didn't get those six of sixes, right? Your guy, the one guy that you played a lot of, he double bogeyed the last hole to miss the cut, whatever. And that can really skew your results and not show if your process is working uh, on such a limited sample that we're looking at at four weeks and a month for a week long. Do you play any other DFS? Like yeah, oh, doing football? Yeah, so yeah. – Yep. 
I'm doing football, and you know, I I, I do NFL. I, I definitely uh, don't do it at the level that I do PGA. And if I'm being completely honest, I really like to do NFL just uh, to get to kind of you know get some fresh air from uh, uh, PGA. But also, I want to get people watching NFL content so that I can get them over to PGA DFS. A lot like you did with me uh, many many moons ago, right? I started watching your NFL and then switched over to golf. And uh, I also do college football, which, you know, it Ooh. isn't legal in all the states, but I'm telling you, there, I, I don't know every PGA DFS sport, but there can't be any other sport with a bigger edge than college football DFS because there's no news out there. There's no quality content. No one has, you know, outside of like one or two sites, no one has good projections. It is a print fest. I mean, people do the silliest stuff over there uh, uh, and they just don't get how to make rosters. And it is the biggest cash game over there is, is, is I mean, it, it's the closest thing to a, a free square you can have in PGA DFS. Because people will just play like backup quarterbacks as in, in their cash lineup. Like, what are you doing? I would get. I mean, this has to happen in showdown too, where especially if like the cut is a bit janky or it happens the next morning, that guys people will play players who have missed the cut. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, I mean, it's it's so you know you're the guy that I think coined this term, the shitter guy, the guy on the shitter making his lineup Saturday morning before lock or whatever. Like they just see a name on there and they're just like, oh, I like, you know, I like Mito Pereira. I'm going to go toss him my round three lineup. <laughs> like he legit missed the cut and they're just tossing him in there because they don't know any better. I, I you know, this is people always say, oh, DJ, you really move the needle on that ownership. I'm like, bro, do you realize on a given week of PGA DFS, there's probably around 100,000 people that are going to play in one contest or the other. And maybe, I mean, maybe 2% of those people are uh, watching and consuming my content. So like to act like I'm having any real impact influence i i think is is overrated right like the vast majority of people are just c complete casuals who are just you know are just throwing their lineup in to have some fun this weekend and don't even know who i am or what pga dfs content even is is there any merit to a strategy so we, we talk about these confusing cut lines where the cut happens the next day i believe it yeah, like at the Masters this year, where round two didn't finish until early in the morning. And sometimes the DraftKings contest will essentially lock before round two is actually done, just because that's the time that was set for round three. And I believe it was like Tiger, like Justin Thomas was on the cut line. If there's a big name who you know that people are not going to use because they're either a shot up, a shot down, they could miss the cut. Let's put it that way. Do you ever get the urge to be like, well, maybe I will take Justin Thomas here. Maybe he will make the cut and I'll have a 1% owned Justin Thomas in round three showdown. Yeah, when there's a rain delay and 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 uh, round two finishes Saturday morning, it's the biggest edge you'll ever have at round three, right? Because you're going to get a bunch of guys that that are like, let's say the cut. If one guy birdies the last hole, it's going to move the cut to, to plus one. But if he pars it, it's going to stay at plus two. You can go get legit all those plus two guys at one or 2% ownership, right? Because no one's going to take that risk, right? So I will absolutely take that risk. Uh, and, and, you know, like if I see that lock's going to happen for, you know, I'm going to wait until the last second. Oh, shit, he's in the, he's in the rough on this no way he's making birdie from there i will just go play all those dudes at plus two because they're going to be no not owned at all and they're going to be the first ones out whenever they start round three in an hour and they're going to be out there in the softest conditions saturday morning right so the, yeah i will definitely play that game uh and you'll a lot of times catch a, a, a lot of overlays on DraftKings when that happens because people won't go reserve their spots they go enter their lineups once they know what's going to happen and when lock happens before they know what's going to happen a lot of these contests don't fill so there's even more value because there's no value better than overlays right that's the ultimate uh value you can find on DraftKings. well i mean i say if there was overlays in the pat mayo experience open i think that would probably be the number one thing you could get
uh, the Pat Mayo Open is. I, I, I've been, you know, I, I, a lot of people are like, why are you always sharing Pat Mayo's contest? I'm like, dude, it's the best contest out there. You know, DraftKings let me have rake free for one week. And I was like, whoa, you got me have a rake free contest for a week? They're like, it was special. Don't expect that every week. We only allow the GOAT to get a, 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 a rake free contest every week. I said, okay, I'll take that. I accept that answer, DraftKings. Hey, it, it is a it is a big advantage to I mean, people still like there are some weeks where I'm like begging people to fill it. I don't quite if people are playing anyway, I don't understand why you wouldn't play in a rake free tournament. And I know that you've helped create that $10 contest, both for showdown. And I even see it on the sea of the week long slates now in the DraftKings lobby that the payout structure in that is amazing. And that's one thing that I always wanted to work on for the PME open was I don't want this to be a 20K to first place, 200 to second place like I want this to be a sustainable market for people. It's like, yeah, because we can pay out a little bit more because it's rake free. I want to make sure that, you know, if, if you're a min casher in the PME open, I, I sometimes like new people come in and they kind of screw it up, but you know, 98% of the time you win double your money, which is great. Like that's, that, that's perfect. I all time. I have never had a big hit in the PME open. Sadly, very sadly uh, about that. It's but pretty, I know all time. Sharp, at least, by the I mean, way. Yeah, well, yeah. The problem is, is those are all the people that are consuming content, right? That's the only way they can find that. They're not a lot of the guys on the shitter uh, 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 Wednesday night, right? They are the guys who are consuming content. So it is going to be a sharper market for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 even though I've never even had a big hit, probably like, you know, 250 is the most I've ever hit in it. I know all time I'm at least a break even or slightly up player uh, just because there's no rake. And I can consistently, you know, uh, when I when I do get just one of my three lineups in, I'm getting $30 back on my 45. And that's so much more sustainable uh, uh, than what you get with a lot of these other tournaments. Yeah, that was the big thing. Like, I didn't want people to play in it one week and then they're never going to play it again because they lost all their money. Like one of three lineups. Hey, yeah, you might get listen, I've been wiped out plenty of times going over three but you know two weeks later i'll go three for three and have like three min caches or 145 and 230s like oh now i'm good for three weeks again I, I wanted to make it something for the viewers and the listeners that they could play in week after week and even if that was the only thing that they played in it would be sustainable they wouldn't go broke and there still is huge upside if you do win I, I got to know this because I have been humbled by how hard it is to fill these contests. And as you said, that sometimes you have a struggle filling it too, right? Is it just simply, I, I, and I don't know the answer I'm asking, is it simply just because people want to see that big prize pull up top? Is that why like, you know, for showdown, they always do that 100,000 in the big tournament because that's what people want to see that big number up top. And they're not really thinking enough about like the structure of the contest because it, I cannot believe that contests like that will fill so easily. But sometimes uh, on given weeks, you and I are having to be like, hey, retweet this. We need to get this tournament filled. Why is that? Even though yours is rake free. I, it's, I, th I think a lot of it, one, has to do with whatever tournament that it's going to be. Like the Travelers Championship this week is something I would probably normally have a lot of problems filling. But because Cust hit Wyndham Clark, the download numbers are just going to be hilarious on it. Like it's going to be three times as big as whatever that show was going to be if it was just a standard week, even with an elevated event. So I have no problems that's going to fill this time. But I think people get complacent about it. People forget about it. Uh, people want to win a million dollars or $200,000. But the funny thing is, like it's, we usually cap it for the majors. I believe first place is $7,500. And for your general like week to week, it's going to be $5,000 regardless of the amount of people that play into it unless it goes down below like you know 1500 which it never does so it's like 2500 this week five thousand dollars in first place and pretty flat down the line that 
I mean, a $5,000 win is huge when the most you can put into that tournament is $45. But people don't think of it that. They're like, I could spend that $45 in the $5 and I could win $100,000. It's like, you're not likely you're not likely to win the PME Open, but you have a much better chance to win the PME Open. Yeah, but by the way, you said cussed. I, I need to do a Maya Copa right now, okay? Uh, for the longest time, I thought, that guy's not real. He's not a real person, right? He's just playing a character. That's not really him. But it, now I have realized after years and years of watching him and listening to him, that is a real guy. He is amazing. And he hit Wyndham Clark. So I was very happy to see him uh, hit that. So uh, it, it, uh, well done, Ander Cust. The, the Cust character doesn't work if he doesn't hit every now and then because then it's no fun. Yeah, exactly. He needs right. to be right and <laughs> shove it in our faces every now and then. And it, it means so much to him when he hits those. Like a lot of people hit winners. They're like, yeah, I hit a winner. Like, I think that like genuinely he probably had like a high, like he had just won a hundred thousand dollars yesterday from that Wyndham Clark uh, uh, hit that he got. It, it, it probably felt like he won the lottery. Yeah, exactly. He was just walking on air last night. Could not be touched. Life was great for him. Hey, listen, he usually takes an immense amount of shit every single Sunday, be it football season, PGA season, doesn't matter what it is. Very rarely does it turn out his way. And I, I think he enjo- he appreciated all the people that shit on him all the time, came out of the woodwork to give him congratulations. Although there was always people that want to shit on you anyway because it's the internet. Oh, man, it's the worst. I, 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 I'm just now reaching that, that uh, uh, point where you start to get the haters. I can't even imagine all the shitheads you have to deal with. But uh, it's, it's been interesting to see that, right? So I, 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 I very much sympathize with you and Cust in a way that I couldn't have even six months ago. How do you like now that like you're starting to to feel some of that heat? That that's su- it sucks. But like people end up learning how to deal with it. I mean, the mute button is a godsend when it comes to it. It doesn't it strike you as weird though. Like you think like I mean, you are. It's not that you think, but like in your mind, you're like, hey, I am doing this thing. I love doing it. I'm passionate about it. I'm presenting it for free. I'm giving out information. Why would people hate this? Or why would people hate me? But just that's the internet. Yeah, it's crazy. And like, you can't even, you know, they can't even be mad at me for giving them the wrong picks because I don't even give picks, which is usually the number one thing people bitch about. But they still find the dumbest shit to bitch about and attack you over for no reason. And and like, you know, like it, it first it bothered me. But then once you get like a plague of them, you're going to learn one of two things. You're either going to learn how to deal with it very quickly and uh, uh, get better at dealing with it, or you're going to have to quit this shit. And uh, fortunately, I, I, I think that I'm learning how to deal with it pretty quickly because uh, if not, like it'll 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 tax your ass. And it, like they're trying to suck the fun out of it. And I'm not going to let them suck the fun out of it for me because then that sucks the fun out of it for everybody. So uh, uh, that, that that's what I always have to remember is like 99% of people are really enjoying it. And for every one asshole, there's probably 50 people saying, hey, look at what I did and look at this hit I got. And thank you for sharing this. I had never thought about this. And uh, that 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 helps keep it all in perspective. But I, I, I won't lie to you. It's a it's a fucking learning process. Oh, absolutely. And then like, you have to really restrain yourself, especially at the beginning, because you really want to fucking fire back. You're like, well, well, there is zero upside in this for me. None. I just either look like an asshole or yeah. like this is very clear. This gets underneath my skin. And eventually you just tune it out and you don't give a shit anymore. But is there anything that you wanted to talk about with me? Because I told you, you, know, you have a topic or two ready. We're at the end here of my topics. Do you have anything? I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. Are you getting into to best ball at all? Because my, my host from DraftKings uh, wants to set up a call with me today to talk about DraftKings best ball. And so I was like, okay, what is, you know, like it, apparently they're really wanting to push the best ball angle this year, uh, you know, for NFL. But there's also PGA best ball, which is really fun. I need to sell you on. But uh, are you much are you going to get into best ball at all? Because I feel like that's kind of what is the, the, the new up and coming cool thing that in three years we're going to talk about it being as big as DFS. 
I mean, it's probably up there now as it pertains to DFS. I don't know. The, the problem with best ball is best ball content starts so early. Like, you know, I have Pete on, I have Davis on, like they're doing this shit in like March. And I just, I need to take a, it's, I, I stopped doing so much swing season stuff last year. Like I do just a quick show, talk about my bets. Cause I'm, casually interested like if i'm going to be doing nfl every single day for content like i do during football season i need to have some sort of break and when i have that break i throw myself full-time into golf like it's really hard to be full-time into golf when you're also doing full-time on the nfl something is going to slip and i think just naturally you need to step away from something because as much as you can enjoy something especially a sport you can have too much of a good thing and when it starts feeling the moment you start having to pay attention to stuff that you don't care about it then starts to feel like a job, which becomes the shittiest part of all of this. This is everyone who gets into content. Eventually, you know, some of the fun gets sucked out of it for you because it's something that you do over and over. It can be very repetitive. But the moment you start talking about stuff you don't really want to talk about, it can suck the fun out of it for you. So I could see myself getting into best ball right now and being really big on it and like having a lot of fun with it starting, let's say like July 5th or something like that. But I do feel as a content provider, that if I only start then, then I'm like four months behind everyone else. And that's not really a position I want to be in. I think the best answer is best ball. We need to just use it for our own enjoyment and not make content over it because it is really fun to play. And it's kind of like you go draft your team and then you get to forget about it. But when you're making content, you got to constantly be doing that for two, three, four months leading up to uh, the season. Then I agree. It, it, it does get to be a little bit much. So I guess I guess the answer is, Pat, I think you just gave me the answer. I'm just going to play best ball and not make a ton of content over it. But it could be, it could be really fun content, too. Like you said, you found your niche doing DraftKings Showdown. For PGA, which I think is a great niche. That's why uh, I had talked to Tambo about doing that for my channel. It was that like, I think this people want this. Not everyone wants it, but there's enough people who do want it that they will tune into this, especially if the content is really good. It just, I told him, I was like, I, I don't play it. I don't care enough. I don't want to spend my Friday night doing, I, I do content all week. I don't want to like, my wife will kill me if I spend Friday night also going on a live stream for people on the channel for you know two hours at a time. But I think that is very valuable content to have. It's just, I didn't want to do it. I think that there's, I don't know enough about best ball and like the little niches and the little inner workings that go along. Like, is there something that you can pull up? Be like, hey, I am the master of this thing of best ball and this is what i'm going to talk about rather than me coming in because i'll do a few best ball shows i've already done one so far this year it's like here's the broad overview for like basically my shows for best ball are for the most casual players possible right yeah oh by the way doing a showdown show the best part pat is your videos have a half-life of about 12 hours so like for when you're on youtube you've got 12 hours to get everybody to watch your video or it's completely fucking irrelevant you know part of the reason you're always trying to get your 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 preview show out saturday or your your course preview show out on saturday or sunday give it more time to marinate get more views same thing with you and jeff on monday mornings you you need it to have a couple days so people can consume it whereas when you're doing a stupid friday night stream you got like legit lock is in 12 hours so you got no time to watch it just another reason that uh bga showdown uh you not doing it was probably a good uh move for you well it really depends like because i do put a lot of thought into that like even the show that we're recording right now isn't going to come out until tuesday morning so that it it needs to live on just a little bit and i don't think we talked about anything that would go super out of date so you need to keep that in mind when you're doing the content like i'm going away in two weeks, whenever America Day is, I'm taking taking like a holiday towards the end of that week. So now I'm starting to think of what are like three shows that I can film now that will come out Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of that week after Jeff and I end up doing the golf content. Um, 
and like you said, being pressed to get the shows out. Because before, I mean, way back when, when Jeff and I used to hit winners at a more consistent basis, I really think that the content schedule has really hurt the quality of the picks because we need to have our picks made basically at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. Not the uh, not listen. Not to say that I haven't researched. I mean, that's where the research show came from, and started doing it earlier. It's like, oh shit! Like I, I got to get my information done so I can talk about this so early on a Monday morning. I can't wait for other things to come out or all of the sites to update and have all of the current stats. I need to get ahead of the game on this, and then I just turned it into a show because you know, you know, no one has Sunday content. Might as well release stuff on Sunday or Saturday night and give it time to marinate, like you said, and pick up views and people knowing that it's going to come out at the same time, approximately every single week but jeff and i used to do our show on tuesdays and then everyone started releasing yeah. shows on mondays we we're like oh fuck we need to get it's hurting our yeah. views we need to start doing it on mondays yeah it, 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 you kind of it sucks because you get forced into these certain times right i would love to you know it was really rough this week to you know i would love to do showdown hoedown at noon on friday for the saturday thing but i have to wait for the round to end to have all the relevant information right so i'm literally doing uh, my show at like 10 o'clock at night and then it's uh almost going to be irrelevant in eight hours right so it, 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 it puts you in a tough spot but that's the life i sign up for i got hey i know i, I don't know what our time is like here but there's one more thing i gotta run by it because you said a topic and this is one that i love watching the challenge I am I'm a challenge guy just like you. I've always been a big challenge guy, but I, I'm getting to the point where I don't enjoy it any longer. Unless like Jordan and bananas are on there, I'm out. Right. So I just want to get your take if if your interest in the the challenge is dying down because I don't have anybody to talk the challenge with. It's been awful, like truly yeah. awful. The main show, uh, and I mean, there's a bunch of reasons for that, and I think that after season 40 so there's season 39 and like none of the people are on it which i'm actually kind of excited about it's all like people have been on the challenge before but like one or two seasons that's it i don't know if there's like a secret format that's coming out. it sounds like they're saving all their money for season 40 and they're gonna have everyone on and that sounds amazing i think that might be the last season on mtv and then everything will shift over to being Challenge USA on CBS, where they'll have a much bigger audience, a much bigger budget, much bigger prize pools for these people to choose from. But I, I think that having to be 17 hour and a half long episodes on MTV, when you go and look at the best seasons of the show and they're 10 hour long episodes, like they're not even, it's just too long. Like the season goes on too long. Each episode goes on too long. There is something to leave people wanting more. I mean, there's more that I want from the show, but they treat it like it's American Ninja Warrior now, not drunk people hooking up, which is my favorite part of the show. Like, I've had a lot more fun watching all of the All-Star seasons on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I thought the Challenge USA was actually really good. Challenge Australia was awesome because that felt like more of the show that I like watching rather than whatever the shit product that they're putting out now is. So I guess you answered my question. I need to go watch these like these these spinoff ones, right? The USA, the Australian one. Those are that's where it's at. Yeah, I mean USA was a bit buttoned down. Challenge Australia was fucking awesome. All right. I, I, I will tell you, to, to your point, I completely agree with you. I, I, I did this thing for the last couple seasons when I realized how long the challenge was getting. The very first episode, I would write down some things that were going on in my life. And then when the finale would come, <laughs> I would go back and look at those just to see how much my life's changed because it felt like three years ago when the season started. And it would be like my life would be completely different because the season's so damn long. I mean, 17 weeks is what, like four months? Get the, I mean, get the fuck out of here. That's That's so long and tedious. I will say... Paramount Plus, just watch All-Stars 1, 2, and 3. They've already filmed 4. It's done. But it sounds like they're waiting because of the writer's strike. So they need to, like, bank some content. That it was exposed to be exclusively on Paramount Plus. 
but because of the writer's strike, they might air it on CBS or MTV after the Challenge USA 2, which just finished filming, which comes out in like a month or something like that with like Bananas and Tori and Jordan. And I don't think Jordan's right. on it, but like they, they Shit, brought... If you say Jordan, I'm in. I'm I don't in think, on Jordan. I, I mean, Jordan, I mean, the World Championship just happened. So Jordan's on that with Tori and Bananas. That was a pretty like loaded cast. But again, it was yeah. too serious. The Challenge isn't supposed to be that serious. Yeah, yeah, it, it it did have some soap opera vibes to it. A lot of a lot of relationship uh, stuff there. I was like, all right, we're like, getting down in the weeds here, I, guys. Like, I get why they updated it for inflation, but the show was honestly a lot more fun when they were playing for like a hundred k, not a million dollars. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, some of those best seasons. I, I I really want to do that where like you go back and watch the old seasons and like compare them because I did that with Survivor and went and watched some of the old seasons and they were so good. Like you just because you can go back and cherry pick the seasons that you've heard of the best. And if you don't know who won, it's like you're getting to watch it for the first time and it's incredible. So I want to do that for the challenge. We should uh, go over and subscribe to my man Rob McIntyre along with Devin and right. Trace for the Challenge Chronicles podcast. I I will pop up there from time to time, but they. I think they started at Battle of the Seasons 1, which is season like 5 or something like that. And it's like a rewatch of all of the seasons. And they do like the new content as well. I think, yeah. that, I think all those ones might be on their Patreon. They're up to the ruins now or Fresh Meat 2, whatever it might be. Uh, and I went back, like I usually watch along with them. But like a lot of these older seasons, I will still go back and watch over like, man, Rider Dies was so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a tough watch. It's like it, it amazes me they have bigger budgets and all of this. Uh, uh, you know they have more resources than they've ever had, and they somehow managed to make a show that's not even half as good as it used to be. There's, there's nothing compelling about it whatsoever. So the the World Championships was shorter. It was only like 40 minutes long because there's no commercials on Paramount Plus. It's a good watch. It's not a great season, but it's it's way better than everything that we've seen on like the regular show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I want to get back into the challenge because that, that feels like such a, you know, I feel myself drifting away from it. And that's just a part of my life that I don't want to accept that like me and the challenge are done. So I'm trying to hold on, you know. Well, you got all these spinoffs. I say give all stars a spin. All star, like I said, all stars one and two in particular, and then all stars three, they bring in Jordan and West to be on that season with a lot of like the older veteran type players. But season one and two just feels like a real throwback to the old seasons of the challenge. They're short episodes. People are having a good time. I've always said that there's, th there's a few key components of the challenge that you need. And one of them is the people need to at least overtly appear to be having fun on the show. Right. Yeah, not just people sitting alone in their room being crotchety and stuff like that. Yeah, like hot um, weather. Get people some drinks. Get people shirts yeah. off, bikinis. Like encourage hookups. Yeah. Like let people have fun. That's all I want to see. Right. That is a good point about the war the warm weather. It seems like they've shot the last few seasons like in Siberia. They're always like wearing those big coats when they go down to like the little uh, uh, challenge area for the eliminations. Uh, it, it, yeah, that's not a great look. Yeah, Give some warm weather. I, I like that take. You have like 32 of the hottest people on the planet on a TV show. You, maybe get them to take their clothes off. Exactly right. It's, it's not that difficult to figure out. Yeah, I don't know. I want to. I, 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 I want to believe. I want to believe that it'll be back. Now you say so you're the you're the Mulder of this with the challenge. That, that's exactly right. I want to believe. X Files. Nice reference. James, degenerate. Seventy five. Tell people once again where they can check out all of your content. 
Yeah, so I mean, on Twitter, I'm at the Degenerate Seventy Five, but I'm not a great Twitter follow. So I would just go over to YouTube, uh, the Degenerate Seventy Five. Uh, just come check out my YouTube page. I do, uh, uh, you know, I do a course preview show, which nobody has ever thought to do. Uh, you know, I'm kidding. <laughs> on a serious note, I do, uh, you know, I do do price reactions, which I'm about to go record that right after this, and go over contest selection, so you get your juices flowing on Monday. Do the live stream every Wednesday night, where I give away lots of giveaways because I'm not a fucking poor. And uh, uh, and then I do the uh, round three and round four showdown hoedown live Friday and Saturday night. Uh, 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 to get you ready for showdown you can ask all your Q&A it's a good time come hang out um, and uh, that's basically it that's it I really appreciate you having me on Pat no problem I highly highly recommend that you go check out all of James's work thanks for being on man this was a lot of fun yeah this is it was it was even better than I expected and I had some super high expectations oh that's fantastic news so remember to smash the like sub to the channel go sub to James's channel as well and rate review and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcasts on Apple and Spotify and by fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself that 20% off. Okay, be back tomorrow with Tambo and the DraftKings and the one and done and the final bets for the Travelers Championship. Until then, play in the listeners league that's down in the description, and I will see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.